<laughs> so, um, look, if you, um, I think, I think we're just looking around the room. We probably, you probably all know this already. So, I'm, I'm Peter. I'm one of the leaders here, and um, we are, um, we're, we're in an interesting phase. Actually, we've kind of been working through this series on being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we've said uh, as we lead, uh, kind of talking this through with Johnny and others, is actually we give ourselves permission sometimes just to linger. So actually, you know, whereas, you know, you can be a very program-based church, and, oh, well, this week it's this topic, that week it's that topic. And sometimes you have a sense of, actually feel like God's doing something. So maybe we just linger um, on that on that topic. And that's kind of what we're doing. So we're staying with this thing of, what does it mean to be empowered by the Spirit? And particularly looking at this issue of um, what it means to be f- to be filled with the Spirit, to um, remain in and abide in the Spirit, and uh, to bear fruit. Um, so uh, this is another in those uh, in in that in that little uh, kind of follow-on that we're just sort of doing today. So um, yeah, let's test the clicker. Yes, excellent. So this is just by way of getting us oriented to that. So this is uh, what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So if we put his words above our opinions and our views and the hotly felt hot takes of the, this world, we raise his word and we stay in Jesus. Then ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Why? that the Father would be glorified and that we would bear much fruit, much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. <laughs> That's going to happen right through the morning, I'm guessing. So anyway, we'll have to go with it. So, um, so that's a good uh, kind of jumping off point for us that actually if we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us, then as we pray, as we, as we do the stuff, as we reach out, we look out, we step out in trust and we pray, then it will be fruitful, incredibly fruitful. So um, Paul then was talking about this to the Galatians. And um, as Johnny was talking last week and a little bit in the news, uh, in the e-news this week, um, that actually, yeah, that was a church that could have been really, you know, split by some fairly dodgy teaching that was going on, that was leading them in the wrong direction. And actually, what um, what Paul's remedy for that was, was to say, look, you know, um, you could go down a route that is a bit aggressive towards each other and get, gets into conflict with all of that. You could indulge your your flesh in that, but actually, no, live by the Spirit. And if you do that, you know, you don't have to be in that battle between, you know, the law and the flesh. You can live by the Spirit. Um Obviously, the acts of the flesh are obvious. There's lots of things listed there, but it goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is all of those things. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so he says, therefore, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So, again, just as we saw um, about uh, remaining in Jesus, again, we get this sense of staying in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being the key to bearing fruit so um so just by way of introduction then spot the difference so fruit are not like gifts okay there are lots of gifts and not everybody has every gift so we each you know not everybody prophesy not everybody 
uh, you know, teachers, there, there are different gifts distributed among us and we each seek and use gifts. But this passage doesn't talk about a series of fruits, you know. Oh, I feel particularly gifted in patience, so I don't need to have to bother with, you know, faithfulness or gentleness, you know, because patience is my gift. You know, patience is my fruit. It's not like that. It's not like that at all, actually. Um, so what is it like? Well, it's a bit more like this. It's like a diamond. The, 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 the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a bit like that white light of a diamond refracts this whole spectrum of colors and all those different colors are different and yet they're all contained in the one white light. So love and joy and peace and gentleness and faithfulness and all of those things they're a unity. They're singular. So it's not like we get to, it's not like a pick and mix shop where we get to pick. But actually what we're saying is as we, as we um, stay in step with the Spirit, as we keep, keep being filled with the Spirit and as we abide in the vine, so we're going to bear this fruit, singular fruit, that has all of these different facets to it. So we're just going to look at some facets today. Um, And, uh, and, and and that's great. So the other, a, a couple of other things to say is, so fruit is something that is visible. So, you know, you can see fruit once it grows. It kind of, that's the point of it. <laughs> you know, it's very visible. It's very tangible. It's not like some kind of inner hidden thing, although it grows from something inside, but it's made visible. And it is grown. It's a continuous process. So um, now you, we could fall into a bit of a trap when we read stuff about the, uh, the, the these kind of passages about, you know, bearing fruit and abiding in Jesus. And Johnny touched on this a little bit, saying, you know, this isn't about some kind of, uh, you know, individual inner, inner harm harmony journey kind of thing in some kind of, you know, quasi-Buddhist kind of uh, approach. That's not really what, um, what the way of God is at all. And that sense of a bunch of very abstract states, part of an inner journey, it, it, it kind of echoes a little bit with, um, if you remember way back, um, uh, Johnny was talking about um, a, an assessment of, of, of what certainly is very common in belief in young people um, across Western cultures with this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, this idea that, you know, well, you know, God, uh, there is, you know, God wants us all to be good and, and, and that's a good, but... Um, you know, and one one of the tenets of that is, you know, the central purpose of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself, and God can help with that. You know, that's one of the tenets of that therapeutic days and this idea that you know, oh God, you know, you kind of don't really need God. You kind of get on with doing your stuff, but actually, if you need to push into feeling happier and feeling good about yourself, maybe God can help with that. So you kind of ask God for a bit of help, and you have that much more inner in a in a bliss because you've asked God to help you. That's um a bit of a trap actually because as we see fruit is visible. It's the invisible made visible. And uh and this isn't primarily a set of commands that are to the individual about your inner life. This is set in the context of a, a part of this book that's talking about one anothering, how we're living and working things out between us as and each other. So um, so the the critical thing is that the, the 
as we understand the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to be something that's worked out as a community, which is why today we're looking at a people of gentleness, a people of kindness, a people of joy. So it's not just about me and Jesus and my walk with him. Of course, it is about that. There's a great phrase that says, you know, Christianity that doesn't begin with the individual doesn't begin. The Christianity that ends with the individual ends. So it's uh, how God calls each of us, but then calls it into something bigger. We're part of a family. And um, I think uh, the other thing I'd say is that, um, again, Johnny mentioned last week that it's not about, um, like, we've got some kind of to-do list. Here's a load of other things we've got to do. Oh, we've got, oh, not feeling very joyful. I've got to be joyful. Don't tick. Yeah, okay, I've done joyfulness. Oh, not feeling very peaceful. Okay, I'll tick. So it's not like work my way through another to-do list. Um, it's much more... Um, about qualities that are in us that then get get revealed as we do stuff. So, um, and probably um, this there was a Kosovo Albania woman named An Anaze Bojakshu, born in 1910. She travelled to Ireland to learn English, and then she travelled to India, and she took the name Mary Teresa. And this is what she said: "It's not how much we do, but how much love we put in the doing." is not how much we give, but how much love is put in the giving. Now, I have to say, there was quite a lot of loving and giving evident in her life. You know, she inspired a movement of 4,500 people working in 133 countries, running hospices for those dying of very stigmatized diseases, um, running uh, dispensaries, running clinics, running children and family counseling, running orphanages and running schools. And all of those 4,500 people who, who were inspired by her and were part of that movement took one vow, a unique vow, which was wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. I mean, talk about fruitful. What an incredible life. But in that incredible life, she had this great insight, which was the doing doesn't matter. Of course it does. But what goes into it? So what's the fruit that fruitfulness will not just be what we do, it will be how we do it, the way that we do it. And um, and just a final thing to say on this is that, you know, the New Testament is not really the product of some kind of glorious retreat. It's not contemplations from a monastic life. It's a set of truth that's really, we grasp, is forged in the crucible of real life struggle and living out faith in turbulent times and the coming together of this amazing kingdom community with all its rough edges and its imperfections. So, so that's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. So let's um, turn then and just have a little look at these three, uh, three aspects, these three facets of the Holy Spirit fruit. First off, a people of gentleness. Gentleness is... Um, is is just this theme that it starts in uh, the Old Testament. Think about Isaiah 40. You know, it says of God, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. We have a gentle father. We have a gentle savior. Jesus said, you know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. It was interesting that the that the, the Jews were expecting a triumphant king riding on a horse of battle. And yet, and yet Jesus said, 
and, in, and this was a quote, a quote from the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We're a gentle saviour. He's coming again and he'll come again as the returning king for sure. But in the incarnation, Jesus came as the gentle saviour, the one who came on the colt, not on the battle horse. We're called to a gentle fellowship. So um, Paul said, you know, even with the Corinthians where things were getting tricky, he said, look, I, you don't want me to come with a rod of discipline. I can, but I want to come with love and a gentle spirit. In Ephesians, he writes, live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Think about Philippians, full of... Um, you know, it says, uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And again, in Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So we're called to be gentle in our one anothering, which is pretty good, actually, because we can get sometimes a bit steamed up and issues can get a bit out of proportion and we can get a bit tetchy and, and probably, we'll, knowing us, we'll, you know, many of us will probably just bury that inside and get a little bit kind of about it rather than actually expressing it. But then it sort of comes out and it leaks out and we're a little bit with each other and uh, we maybe respond in slightly disproportionate ways when it finally comes out because we're not great at expressing. But, you know, there's a different way here. There's a different way. And... Um, and also, there's a gentleness about what God expects from leaders. Now, this was, this is really interesting, right? Because Paul, you know, when he's talking to, you know, Timothy, he says, you know, um, this is one Timothy three. He says, you know, there's a great phrase about appointing elders. He says, um, there's a great uh, New Testament translation. He says, they must not push people around. <laughs> they must be gentle. They must not be a person who likes to argue. And that's a very different model for leadership, actually. There's a very go-ahead leadership in a competitive world that's, you know, let's, let's do it. And that's great. And, you know, that there's some energy in that. There's some good things about that. But actually, it's not really what God calls people to lead, which is tricky given that you're dealing with some challenging situations. If you think about what was happening in Corinth, if you think about what's happening in, you know, in... Uh, uh, with the Galatians and others, you know, it's a it's a tricky thing. You've got to face up to some really tricky issues. And yet, what God calls is, is he wants to um, single out those who are going to be not the kind of people who push people around, but be gentle. Um, in, uh, in, in, in 2 Timothy, um, again, Paul's talking and he says, to, he says to Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. They produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. So even in amongst some very tricky situations where it looked like a church could split, where a church could go into error, Paul says to Timothy, actually, that's not what the Lord's servant is not going to be, the quarreler. Even when opposed, they're going to, the calling is to be gentle. And, 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 and to be winsome and trying to win people back when they've got hold of um, something they're acting in a spirit that's counter to the spirit of, the, of God. And again, you know, Paul told, in, uh, Paul told Titus to remind the Crete church, always be gentle toward everyone. 
we're taught we're taught that even our evangelism you know which often evangelism can you we associate that with people who are quite extrovert and you might be kind of you know, standing up and great loud songs on street corners nothing of that but even in amongst that there's a spirit here uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have it all. But do this with gentleness and respect. And he was talking there about people who are spreading lies about, about you as well. So, so this is not, don't just be gentle and respect to the nice people you like. This is be, gen- be, be, be gentle and show respect even to the people who are dissing you and who are piling on you on social media and all those kinds of things, which is like a really different different spirit to this world. And similarly in pastoring, you know, again, Paul in Galatians says, you know, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. There is a gentleness about so much of the stuff of the kingdom, whether it's getting each other back on the right track where we've kind of taken a wrong turn, whether it's handling disagreements, whether it's dealing with, you know, sharing with those who are outside, whether it's dealing with contentious issues, there's a gentleness there. And that's a, a hallmark. One of those things a bit like if ever you go to, in the UK, we, talk, we often talk about going to Blackpool because Blackpool's kind of got this, you know, always you buy a stick of rock from Blackpool. It's a big kind of sugary thing. But the thing is that when you cut it open, you cut it open at the top, it says Blackpool in, this, in, the, in the middle. Wherever you cut it, It'll say Blackpool in a little bit of writing that's kind of written in the in the in the inner bit of the of the sugar of the rock, and so a bit like that that sense of you know these things these fruit of the spirit a bit like what's written on the inside wherever you cut in whatever situation and circumstances it's what are you going to see you're going to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit one of those patience fantastic the people of kindness. You know, um, again, in the Old Testament, we see um, Isaiah, you know, God says, look, in the surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I'll have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Uh, In Hosea, I led them with the cords of human kindness, with ties of love. So we have a sense of the kindness of God. I'm also really struck by um, David and Jonathan when they have that kinship, that bond. And Jonathan says to David, you know, don't ever fail to show kindness to me. And actually, after he's been killed and things have moved on, and, and, and you know, David, David gets to be, you know, gets to be the rightful ruler eventually, He's looking around and he's saying, who is that? Is there anybody who's connected to Jonathan? Because I want to show them kindness. And lo and behold, here's Mephibosheth, who's in a bit of a sorry state. And he says, come and eat at my table. Because he wants to show kindness. There's a sense of a hallmark of kindness. And the thing about kindness is, you know, we might think that confrontation will lead you to, to rethink things. You know, but actually, you know, the scripture says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's in Romans 2. You know, don't show contempt for the riches of God's kindness. It's meant to lead you toward repentance. So even where we've gone wrong, God's kindness comes in and says, can you see that this isn't right? And there's a kindness of God coming. And then finally, the kindness in redemption God raised us up with Christ, Ephesians, 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming riches he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness in Christ Jesus. Likewise in Titus, we were living in envy, malice, being hated, hating each other, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. The kindness of God is expressed in the gospel in redemption in what Jesus did. It was it was God's kindness that led him not to leave us in our state. Oh, great stuff. Now, the people of joy. We could talk a lot of this. There's loads and loads of stuff in here. But um, I'll give you just like what I call the highlight reel, which is just a little snippet, and then we'll look at a couple of things in more a little bit closer. The Psalms is absolutely full of mentions, 57 times actually it mentions the joy. And, and often it's a refrain to shout and sing for joy and those kind of things. Um, you know, great, a good example of this, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who were dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord's done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we're filled with joy. What a great, oh, it's just so good, isn't it? And, and, and it's right the way through. And, and similarly, um, in Isaiah, there are just these glimpses of this amazing joy that is ahead. Surely God is my salvation. I'll not, I trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense, and he's become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And again, in Isaiah 35, he talks about there'll be a way of holiness, and it will be for those, a highway will be there. For those who walk on the way, only the redeemed will walk there. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They'll enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. And, you know, we could just go on and on. So many glimpses. The glimpse of, of foreigners coming with faith and obedience brought to God's holy mountain. And he, it says he'll give them joy. He'll give us joy in his house of prayer. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. There's something amazingly joyful ahead. Um, and um, so then we get into the New Testament. Well, I've got to say, um, joy is breaking out everywhere. If you read Luke particularly, it's like a motif running through it. Themes of joy and of the Holy Spirit. You know, Zacharias is told John's going to be a joy. The neighbors are sharing Elizabeth's joy at being pregnant. Um, the angels are saying Jesus is being born is news of great joy for all the people. The 72 return from, with, with joy from uh, taking out the good news and healing the sick. And, um, and, uh, you know, actually, probably just in a, uh, um, talking about John as well. Jesus, in that passage where we've read about, you know, the 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 vine and the vineyard, you, you, you're in the vine and we're in the branches. Several times there he talks about, I'm telling you this now so that you have joy. And you know what, you're going to be sad for a bit, but then, then you'll be joyful and no one will be able to take away your joy. And so Jesus is preparing them for the sense that there is this amazing joy ahead. So Paul's letters, you know, full of, you know, lots of stuff in there. You know, he's just full of joy. 
uh, with who with seeing his church, the churches that he's established, really going on with God. Um, and we can think about, for instance, yeah, Romans, he talks about the kingdom of God's not about eating and drinking, but a righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And um, finally, uh, from just this little helicopter view, look at Hebrews, where um, it, it, the, the scripture says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. There is joy. You know, there is sorrow in the nighttime, there is joy in the morning, there is ultimately things end with joy, even when things are really tough. And that's a, a real uh, sense just as we go all the way through and take that helicopter view, the highlight reel. But I want to look at two things in uh, a little bit closer as we come to, um, come to the latter part of what I'm saying. First is our joy. This... Um, this passage, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man hid it, found it, hid it, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The central driving force of discipleship is joy. It's not duty. It's not checklists. It's having a sense of, wow, wow, look at that pearl of great price. Isn't he worth everything? Wow, look at... There's a whole load of gubbins in that in that field, but there's a treasure in it. I want that field because I want the treasure. And um, it was um, a, a, a chap by the name of Aurelius Augustine who was speaking at his conversion at age 31. He said, how sweet at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I'd feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place you who are sweeter than all pleasure O lord my god my light my wealth and my salvation many many moons later c.s lewis would say in a sense the central story of my life is about nothing else the quality common to these three experiences is that of an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction i call it joy which here is a technical term and must be sharply distinguished from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who's experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if it were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures of the world. There is our joy in what we find in God. Psalm 4 says, who will bring, many are saying, many are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. You know, sure, it's good that businesses flourish and economic growth and all that kind of stuff, interesting, but actually the light of the face of God shining on us brings a joy. Um, I had a memory as I was preparing this. It was... Uh, a sort of a memory of I don't know if you've 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 seen this if you're a parent, but your 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 your, your child just sort of going onto the sports field and they look back, they look they look to see you know where's mum, where's dad, oh there they are, and then they kind of carry on with a bit of a skiff in their step because they know that you're dead proud of them, and you're watching them and you can see them playing and they've just got that bounce because they're ah, like, oh, you know, dad's watching me, mum's because they they sense it, they sense that's and so we have this sense of joy. 
actually. And it's that sense of joy that should be what drives everything for us. And finally, though, let's look at this, his joy. You know, um, many, many, many years before Jesus died on the cross and was raised, it was prophesied in the Psalms and that first passage there really, in fact, Peter, I think, quotes in Acts, you know, God didn't let Jesus see decay, but it says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And again, in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he went through the cross, scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. So what was that joy? Well, and I guess just to kind of recap, there is a gentleness and a kindness and a joy that overflows into how we do what we do. That's why we're doing this part of the series. And we're going to be pretty excited to see it. I've got to say, it's not going to be anything that Johnny kind of, you know, says, right, this is how we're doing. We're going to see it bubble up from amongst us as we learn to walk in step with the Spirit together. All it needs is for us to keep in step with the Spirit and involve each other in our hopes and our endeavors and our experiments. Okay, that's what we want to see. We want to see that. So, but this, I want us to finish particularly on this sense of the joy of God, the joy of Jesus. And um, I want to um, just read something. This was um, this was a journal entry I sort of found found um, when I was preparing this from uh, a little while ago. So I was asking myself, well, what has he got to be so joyful about? In Luke fifteen four, it. Um, Jesus tells a story about um, a shepherd with a hundred lambs and one of them wanders off. And it says the shepherd left the 99 lambs in the open field and searched for the wilderness for that one lost lamb. This is the Passion Translation. She said he didn't stop till he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up, placed it on his shoulders and carried it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called his friends and neighbors and said, come have a party, let's celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. Uh, it wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, in the same way, there'll be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents and comes home, returns to the fold, more so than all the righteous people who never strayed. What is he so joyful about, I wrote in my journal. It's you, silly. It's you. You're finally found. And you're on the journey home. Who needs to be strong at this point? The sheep? Not at all. The sheep is getting a shoulder ride. The Lord's joy is your strength. It's the spring in his step that will carry you home in what will seem like no time at all. So be released from the burden of not being able to feel quite happy enough. Be released from the requirement to be happier, feel happier to be spiritual for feeling that you're second class if you're going through sadness. It's the Lord's joy that is our strength. We can lean into his joy. His joy and delight in saying, I found you. Look at the state of you. Let's get you home. We find our joy in him because he finds his joy in us.
Let's stand together.